0: Coming up on the Shelley Irwin Show podcast today, Talent First announces the first winners of the Literacy Leader Award. Local author Marie LaPresse joins in to talk about her book series, the Mackinac Time Travel Series. February continues to be American Heart Month. U.S. News and World Reports Managing Editor Grendel Schuller joins in to discuss. And Dr. Susan Partovi is a renegade MD, and that's also the title of her new book.
1: Is kinda cool, Talent First has announced the first winners of a Literacy Leader Award. Elementary schools demonstrating excellence in reading instruction, so an important listen you have ahead. Let's talk to you, Talent First President Kevin Stotts with the details, good morning to you Kevin. Good morning Shelly, it's nice to be with you. Nice to be with you, you remember your elementary days? Yes I did, I
0: went to Hunter Elementary in um, Gibraltar, Michigan, so.
1: Well, that answered that. I was an Ohio kid, uh, uh, Liberty Elementary, uh, and yet both my third and my sixth grade teachers were my favorite out of all the college and all that good stuff, Mm -hmm. and you remember your favorite teacher? Uh, Yeah,
0: my fourth grade teacher. See?
1: It it does stick with us, so Mm -hmm. thank you, teachers, and obviously Talent First is thanking that as well. Tell me about Talent First, Kevin.
0: So uh, for those of you who are not familiar, we're a coalition of business leaders in West Michigan working with education workforce leaders to improve the quality of talent uh, here in the region, now and in the future. So we do a lot of programming, uh, partnerships with different organizations uh, in education and higher ed, workforce development, uh, do some public policy advocacy work to kind of educate legislators on what they can do to improve the quality of our education and workforce systems, and uh, it's really exciting work.
1: Well, uh, we talk about talent a lot, of course. Uh, uh, you are a data-driven organization, mm-hmm. so you know uh, how to provide practical proven resources, strategies, and more, and you looks like you also know how to recognize uh, good excellence when you see it. So let's talk about the Literacy Leader Award, Kevin. Yeah, well,
0: we're really excited about this. Um, uh, uh, improving early literacy has been a big focus of ours since the, the founding of Talent First. Uh, if you think about it, uh, it's a really a natural progression. If kids are, uh, enter kindergarten ready for school, they're more likely to be reading by third grade. And if you're reading by third grade or about that, yeah, that child is pretty much guaranteed to, to graduate from high school, college, and career ready. So when kids don't have that that foundational development in terms of the literacy skills, as you know, you know, you go on the fourth grade, fifth grade, you're reading to learn, not learning to read. So getting those kids ready is really important. And Michigan has not been doing well on literacy scores. We've actually not moved the needle while other states have been Uh, Outpacing us, um, uh, and now even Mississippi as a state is outperforming Michigan. And so, we've got a lot of work to do, but the literacy awards are really our effort to recognize uh, some schools that are really outperforming their peers and doing a lot of really good things. So, we want to sort of highlight them as an example to other schools and how to approach. Uh, the, the practice of teaching kids learning to read. Nice. Well,
1: next month, uh, very, sh- uh, very short uh, to come, right around the corner. March National Reading Month, yeah. so very timely as well. So what? Uh, well, first of all, uh, let's let's just talk about the winning schools, yeah. uh, if you would. Yeah. So
0: uh, we have five schools in this 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 first effort award program that we're doing. Uh, first is uh, Riverview Elementary in Big Rapids. Uh, and then we have uh, Washington Street Elementary in Notsego, uh, Meadow Ridge Elementary in Rockford, mm-hmm. Dutton Elementary in Caledonia, and Lincoln Heights Elementary in Greenville. Yes.
1: And uh, this is a Monday, so all of your winning schools have different, what, dates of ceremonies, including, uh, well, Riverview Elementary, looks like today.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. Coming up uh, very soon next week is when we award the first set of schools. Uh, the feedback has been terrific. So we went through a process where we looked at um, the the each of these schools' MSTEP scores compared to their peers across the across West Michigan, and these schools outperformed in terms of their early literacy scores on the third grade MSTEP assessment and outperformed their peers based on. Um, uh, similar students with similar social economic backgrounds. So we know poverty is a big um, driver or influencer on academic performance, but it's not the only thing. And so what these schools are doing is really beating the odds and outperforming all of their peers. And so we went through a process looking at, after we highlighted these schools, these are potential schools, among 12 that we saw, uh, we then did interviews to look at, right, what are you doing in these schools that are so different? And so we had uh, six different measures uh, to assess. And so these schools are doing any number of these different six and sometimes in a different combination.
1: Let's look uh, even uh, uh, deeper. It looks like uh, many had... on. Well, the appointment of dedicated literacy coaches in each building, yes?
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, when you get past the literacy scores, what are they doing? So um, some of those things that they're doing is, one, having dedicated literacy coaches. Um, Certainly the state has put a lot of resources, uh, made a lot of resources available to literacy coaches. But what makes these schools unique and other schools that are really doing well is they have these, these literacy coaches dedicated to each individual school and classroom. And so it's a more focused focused effort. Another thing is using formative assessments to sort of track a student's progress uh, uh, or a group of students' progress over the course of the year. So not just measuring them at the end, but how do you measure them and assess them at the beginning of the year? And how do you track their progress and really adjust their their support
1: so that they are getting everything that they need over the course of the year so they can make some big gains? Kevin Stotts with us, president of Talent First. Their tagline, your tagline, Vision, Insight, Solutions. And again, talking about the first winners of the Literacy Leader Award, uh, recognizing elementary schools, demonstrating excellence in reading instruction. Development of detailed school improvement plans was also uh, key here.
0: Yes. So one of the things we did over the summer was um, Hmm. uh, talk to a lot of different school districts and looking at their um, improvement plans. Every school district, every school has to have an improvement plan. How are you gonna go from, you know, where you are today to to getting better? Each of these different schools had a very focused, detailed explanation of how they were going to increase their literacy score. So that really kind of stood out because when you have a good plan, when you're using data, When you have the necessary supports of the leaders, the the literacy coaches, the right curriculum, and other resources that the teachers need to succeed, that's when you get the big outcomes. And um, for us, it's been super exciting. To contact these schools, Lisa Hungerford from my team reached out to these schools and talked to them about what they were doing, and then said we're gonna uh, we want to recognize you. And so next week kicks off um, the celebration. We've, we're honoring three different schools. A lot of these schools are doing assemblies. We're gonna take a check from each of these schools is gonna get a check for a thousand dollars. Taking balloons, cookies for the kids donated by Meijer. Um, so we're really quite excited about the enthusiasm. Uh, from this program.
1: Will this be a continued program? Will we be talking next year about the second annual winners? Well, I think so. We've just been really uh,
0: surprised at the enthusiasm and I think the success. I think it's always important to highlight um, good practice and the great effort of educators trying to improve scores, be it in math, reading, science. So yeah, I think we're going to be doing this again for the years to come.
1: And obviously, if one is listening and says, "I want to do what they're doing," uh, is is that part of this uh, being a role model and perhaps uh, making a call to uh, Dutton Elementary and say, uh, "saying How do how do how do I follow in your footsteps?"
0: Absolutely, and that's that's been the focus and the intent of this mm-hmm. is to highlight, celebrate these schools. Yeah. In terms of what they're doing, how they're doing it, and the results they're getting, um, uh, most districts have a big effort and focus on, on literacy. Certainly, it's an effort we're working with uh, K-12 leaders across West Michigan to say, how do we have a regional focus? These schools become a great example to the next group that we hope to award next year.
1: Great. Talent first, in good hands, thanks to your leadership, Kevin Stotts. How do we find out more information? Well,
0: you can go to our website, talentfirst.net, and you can find more information uh, on our webpage about this program and the other resources uh, that uh, parents, districts can sort of look at and utilize to, to drive performance improvement within their schools because we all need every kid to be reading to, uh, to learn uh, if we're gonna have the talent that we know our employers need, but also that's really gonna help our community thrive. So when we've got kids kind of left behind, Um, It hurts all of us.
1: Takes a village. Thanks to you, Kevin, and yours. Congratulations to the recipients, and uh, carry on. Thank you. Let's talk all things local authors. It's good to write your story. My next guest has been quite busy. She has Civil War series. She has a Civil War novel set in the 1920s, South Dakota, a one standalone retelling of Pride and Prejudice. But let's put our focus on the key to Mackinac, these Mackinac time travel series, these written by you, Marie Lepre. Good that you are here. Good morning.
2: Yes, thank you so much for having me. Yeah,
1: it's important. A local show needs to, to brag on their local authors, and uh, you search certainly uh, uh, have uh, overachieved in that venue. Who's Marie LaPrey?
2: So I am, by trade, I am a middle school teacher over at St. Paul the Apostle School, and I teach social studies and I teach theology, so it's really cool to be able to teach in a different way. Like one of my taglines is, Uh, educating through fiction, because I think that fiction and stories is a main way of how we learn as humans, and so I try to tap into that with my novels as well. So not just entertaining with a story, but also teaching what life was like in the past. Yes.
1: Well, thank you for teaching middle students. Uh, That's a, uh, a good challenge, correct?
2: Yes, and I've got great kids, so shout out to them. I
1: bet they'll always remember Ms. LaPray for their teacher.
2: All right, let's get right into your
1: tagline, Travel Through Time with a Good Book. We do want to spend uh, most of our conversation on Mackinac, but we'll give your website as well. When did you begin to, well, put the focus on Mackinac?
2: So Mackinac was always a place that I loved traveling with. Um, My family took many, many vacations there when we were growing up. And so I always loved it up there. And after college, I had an opportunity to work up there for the Mackinac State Historic Parks. And so I jumped all over that. So I was able to work up there for two years, met some great friends, and had some really great experiences, but also got to really learn a lot about that area. And so when we would work there, one of my main jobs was as a historic interpreter at Colonial Mackinac. So I actually got to dress up in the outfit. I got to cook over the stove. I got to, I, I hand sewed a dress when I was up there. So a lot of cool things. And so one thing that I would always do is imagine what it would be like to actually go back in time and talk to the people that we were portraying and so that's kind of where the idea for book one came from and so from there just grew um a lot of my readers wanted more after book one so i just kept going and kind of developed the idea for a whole series covering each of the four state historic parks up there so we start at colonial michelmackina in the uh 1776. Then we go to Mackinac Island in 1814, which is in the middle of the War of 1812, which did touch the island. Mm -hmm. Then we go to the 1830s, mostly the Mill, but we actually get to go to the island on that one as well. And then the last one is in 1918 so we get to look at the lighthouse what that would have been like as well as the community up there at the time a lot of cool things happening there had already been prohibition passed in Michigan at the time so we've got some run-ins with bootleggers we've got um, one of my favorite things is athletics as well so we get to bring in that more vintage baseball in there they play a game of baseball and then also World War One and the Spanish flu were um, included in that book too so um, a lot of different things happening up there and it's a great place to to be. And it's a great place with so many stories. So and it's the, the theme is
1: beyond. So beyond the fort, beyond the island, beyond the mill, beyond the light.
2: That idea. So I originally was just playing with the idea and I was trying to figure out a title. And one of the good points about these books is that they are young adult. Adults love them as well. They're not purely young adult, but they are considered young adult. And One of my students, actually, I'm kind of I'm talking them through as I'm writing the first one, especially I'm asking them ideas um, The going with the first person point of view was their idea. They prefer that. So I was just getting a lot of ideas from them. And I'm like, okay, I want to have, you know, here's the basic idea. I want the title to have something like the fort in it, but I don't want just the fort because there's other books out there. And when you're coming up with a title, you want to try to avoid other book titles to make sure that people find the right one and one of my eighth graders came up with the idea well what if you do beyond the fort um so that was cool too because it also it kind of goes you know beyond just the fourth that you would see nowadays it goes actually back into the history um back into that time period yes so
1: these how would you describe these as as an author these are stories uh it's not a it's not a history when i open it up again it's a first person story right but has historical setting
2: yep so classify it as historic fiction okay. um or another way of looking at it too my mom who's my agent and does pretty much everything for me other than actually write the books okay. she we were talking at one point and um wow, i lost my train of thought So we were talking, and it's kind of like um, another way to describe it as actual realistic fiction, but just taking place in a historic setting. And especially the time travel ones, each of them start in modern times, so you get that modern peak of what life is like in Mackinac City, which I'm able to kind of put in some of the – more local tricks and uh, secrets in there because I was able to live up there for a while. But then again, taking you back into the historical section. And I've actually had quite a few schools um, purchase the books, and they'll use them as read-alongs and some Michigan history. And you know that actually started an idea of one of my next big projects coming up after I finish my current work in progress, um, kind of jumping up and looking at all of Michigan history with time travel um, for those teachers to use who need some more Michigan history uh, things to bring it alive.
1: Yet you're still teaching. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We'll yep. take Marie LaPrey with us. Travel through time with a good book, her tagline, of course, talking about her, her series, Mackinac Time Trial series, The Key to Mackinac, of course, the Beyond the Fort, Beyond the Island, Beyond the Mill, Beyond the Light. Why in black and white for your cover?
2: Again, played around with that a couple times, a couple different ideas. These pictures were actually all taken by my mom. Again, she does just yeah. about everything, but right. And so again, just asking my students, you know, what would you kind of, what would make you pick it up first? And so um, they liked the black and white for the first one. So we just kind of kept that consistent throughout that whole series. Um, My other book series, all my other books actually have color covers, but yeah, this is the one that just kind of worked, not just for, you know, the young adult piece, but also just the the mystery aspect and suspense aspect. Yes. And other
1: books, uh, I mean, the Civil War series, you have four, The Turner Daughters.
2: Yeah, so that one, the first book in that series, The War Shall Rise Against Me, was actually my first book. I got the idea of that one on a family vacation to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and it was there that I heard the story of Jenny Wade, and so I heard her story. She's very well known um, in that Gettysburg area, but I heard her story, and I wanted to know more about her, so I was looking for fiction books, because that's how I learn, is by reading and by reading fiction. And so there just wasn't that much out there. So this was probably 12 years ago now. And I was still in college. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to write the book. And then it took me about, you know, 10 years to actually get that done through finishing college, student teaching, first couple years of, of actually teaching. So finally got that one published. And then from there, again, just looking at it and looking how I can expand it. So that series really focuses on Civil War Through the Eyes of the Civilians Mm -hmm. in four different cities, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, Fredericksburg, Virginia, Vicksburg, Mississippi, and Petersburg, Virginia. And then they're all standalone books. People always ask, well, it's a series. Do you have to read them in order? And for that series, you actually do not have to read them in order. They all cover the four years of the war, but then they're linked by the fictional Turner family. So you can read them. They are linked, and they do reference the other characters in the other books.
1: The uh, Beyond the Light and Mill and and obviously Island and Fort are standalones.
2: These are not more standalones. No, you want to read these in the order, Fort, Island, Mill, Light. I have had people who have said you know oh i love the mill i just want to get this one And i'm like you absolutely can do that i'm not going to tell you you can't usually they go back and get the other ones but um i'm able to kind of catch you up a little bit so that you have an idea of what's going on but it is best to read these in order to kind of get the overall look because in book one we're introduced to not only the main characters but we're also introduced to the main villain And then you want to make sure that you've got that, you know, background on that villain to understand the last books, because it does kind of culminate um, all in the last book there. Wonderful.
1: Of course, there's that standalone retelling of Pride and Prejudice, yes?
2: Yes, the book that my mom never wanted me to write, but now she loves. So I've always liked Pride and Prejudice, one of my absolute favorite stories. Mm -hmm. And then I've always wanted to try to think of a way to kind of tell my own version of it. And again, the idea for the setting comes from yet another family vacation. when We went out to South Dakota, the Black Hills, Spearfish. Love it out there. Absolutely beautiful. And so that book was primarily written in March, April, and May of 2020. So I reference it as my COVID book because what else are we going to do? I got to do a lot of hiking, got to do a lot of things like that. But, um, you know, a little bit of teaching as well. But just needed something else to do to keep my mind on things and keep my mind focused so that's book as a result finally was able to put it all together and it's it's fun how it turned out so it went through a lot of edits and went through a lot of different things but i really do like how it turned out that's a fun one and
1: yeah thanks for the honesty on that and the passion obviously you bringing uh the history of michigan and more to us marie Lapray. how do we find out more about these books and you
2: So you can find me on Amazon, uh, Marie LaPrey. You can find me. I've got a website. If you just Google Marie LaPrey, it's going to be one of the first things that pops up. So I've got that. And I also do a lot of traveling throughout spring, summer, and fall to different um, arts and crafts festivals and Civil War reenactments. So you can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram. I also have a YouTube channel where I do talk more about Michigan history. So you can check that out on author Marie LaPrey. I've got videos every other week about that so yeah those different places you can find me and i love hearing from people so you can also email me at marielapre84 at gmail also
1: I imagine you are favorite teacher too many so keep up your good work Marie Lapre, that's l-a-p-r-e-s continued good work to you your tagline travel through time with a good book thank you very much thank you so much as well Continues to be American Heart Month, as of course every month should be. I think, pretty sure, heart disease remains the number one killer for both men and women. So let's talk about prevention and more. I get the best U.S. News and World Report's managing health editor Gretel Gretel Schuler on the line to talk about how you are reporting on this. Good morning to you, Gretel.
3: Good morning, Shelley. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Yeah, tell me uh, what's been happening of late with U.S. News and World Report. You're both uh, in hard copy and online these days.
3: No, we are we are just online these okay. days. Uh, we publish an annual uh, magazine, the Best Hospitals, but other than that, we're all online.
1: Well. "'Tis the Way the World is Working." And thank you for bringing us these stories and reports from our world and beyond. But yet you focus in on American Heart Month this month. Tell me why.
3: Well, as you mentioned, heart disease is the leading cause of death in the U.S., both for men and women. Um, in fact, each year, over 640,000 people in the U.S. die of heart disease. Um, one of the things that we do here at U.S. News is rank diets. And one of the categories we rank are the heart healthiest diets because science has shown that changing your diet um, and improving your diet can actually make a difference when it comes to heart disease risk factors. And so we looked at 30 different diets. Um, we have 43 leaders in the field of nutrition, doctors, cardiologists, who evaluate these these diets. Um, and we, we're looking at, you know, what are the, um, the characteristics that are important for people who are concerned about heart health, whether that's controlling blood pressure or reducing c- cholesterol. So they look at diets. The diets that fare well are diets that follow. Um, that focus on vegetables, so they're plant forward. so vegetables, fruits, whole grains, lean poultry, um, fish, which are high in um, heart-friendly omega-3 fatty acids. And these diets also limit red meat and processed foods that are high in sugar, salt, as well as the unhealthy fats. These are saturated fats because they do increase uh, the risk of di- of heart disease. Um, and so we came up with our list. Um, I'm happy to go through it with you now or however you'd like to
1: to continue yeah thank you let's uh let's pick uh, three of perhaps the top uh, best suggestions from the list
3: sure so um number one um, of most heart healthy diets is our mediterranean diet now this is a plant-based diet like all our heart healthy diets um, the tenants of the mediterranean diet are an emphasis on whole unprocessed foods, so it's before vegetables, fruits, beans, whole grains, some healthy fats like nuts and olive oil are basically the foundation of each meal. And then two times a week at least, you know, eat some seafood. And then the things that you're moderating are your dairy, your eggs, and poultry, which you know maybe have once a week or so. And then red meat and sweets really should be treated as like an occasional treat. Um, Number two um, for best heart healthy diets is the DASH diet. Mm-hmm. DASH diet sa- stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. It was developed by the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute to do exactly that, um, and it's it's quite effective. It's very similar to the Mediterranean diet in that it's you know it's a plant forward diet. It ha- offers a little more structure. It re- it really restricts. Um, Sodium, it caps it at 2,300 milligrams a day. It also limits your saturated fat, your fatty meats, your full-fat dairy foods. Um, and I want to say that all of these diets, I mean, they're heart-healthy diets, but really anyone, they're, they're great for anyone and delicious for anyone.
4: Yes.
3: Um, and they also focus on some of these heart-friendly minerals like potassium, calcium, magnesium. Um, and then at number three is another doctor um, designed diet. It's called the Ornish diet. It's a low fat eating style that was developed actually in the 70s by a cardiologist, Dr. Dean Ornish. Um, and it too is a plant forward diet. Um, now what's interesting about this, this, this eating approach is that it's it is even more strict in the sense that um, it limits meat. Um, And fish and poultry and it only allows for a small amount of non fat dairy and eggs. So it's 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 almost a vegan or vegetarian diet. Um, Refined carb carbs are also limited as are added sugars and processed foods. Um, But again, so and Ornish also includes an an aspect of stress management, which I think is is helpful because we need to think about, you know, whether it's heart healthy or healthy eating, you know, as a holistic approach. And so, you know, stress management, exercise should also be a component of, of whatever it is we're doing.
1: Yes, I know. Sleep also is thrown into that pot these days. It's American Heart Month, U.S. News and World Report's managing editor Health editor Gretel Schuler on the line, talking all things of their reporting, ranking the 2024 best heart healthy diets, talking about good fats versus bad fats, uh, obviously some snacking uh, uh, healthy suggestions as well, and and basically um, living a you know a, a lifestyle, incorporating all this into an eating plan.
3: A- absolutely, and and I think um, I did want to stress, you know, as a, again, you know. So the science is showing, you know, plant-focused diets that are high in and low in fat and high in fiber. They're they're really, you know, have beneficial for a slew of reasons, including heart health. And when we talk about good fats, you know, these are these are things that are that you'd find in um, nuts or vegetable oils like olive oil or avocado or olives. Um, Cold water fish, the salmon, your trout, um, herring, these are all good sources of, you know, healthy fats, Um, seeds, uh, like flax seed, chia seeds, tofu as well. Um, These are all choices that that you could incorporate in your diet and considered heart healthy um, fats. They are anti-inflammatory. There's actually some studies that show they can help lower cholesterol. Um, conversely, our saturated fats and trans fats, you know, have been shown, of course, to raise total cholesterol and what we call the bad cholesterol, which increases, you know, your risk of cardio, uh, cardiovascular disease. Um, so, in addition to red meats, this would be things like um, tropical oils, like coconut oil or palm oil, lard, butter. Um, bacon, <laughs> all the mm. things that maybe you like to eat, but, but shouldn't be. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> you do the studies and you share the results. All right. Well, again, life uh, often is a choice. Uh, uh, live life in moderation, yet uh, uh, perhaps steer according to your best uh, findings here. Where do I find out more about this, Gretel? Uh,
3: thanks for asking. So if you go to health.usnews.com slash diet, you can See all our diets and our full rankings of 30 different diets across multiple um, categories, including heart healthy diets. Right. Thanks
1: taking care of our heart. Important. We have one, and uh, let's keep it sustainable. Gretel Schuler, again, managing health editor for U.S. News and World Report. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Shelley.
1: Well, you're going to meet the real life hero behind renegade md it's a book a doctor's stories from the streets chronicling my next guest's remarkable journey as a street doctor dedicating her life to providing medical care to the impoverished and homeless individual particularly on la's skid row dr parto partovi dr susan partovi with me now author doctor uh, grand poobah and more susan good morning
4: hi how
1: are you i'm doing fine good that you are here uh I need to look up the the definition of renegade. Let's start there. Why are you called uh, and why have you called this Renegade MD, Dr. Parthovi?
4: Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So, um I actually looked up the definition of renegade and it it it, it wasn't very uh uplifting, so I mm. decided to have my own definition. And it's it's not really about breaking rules per se. It's more about Going that extra mile and doing whatever it takes, um, and and going beyond what you know, what's the typical, uh, you know, of, of what you think you know you're supposed to do, and and you know, and, and you're not saying that's not my job, basically. So so that's really my definition of of what a renegade is, and it's it's about. I, the original uh, name of the book was called A Good Doctor. And so it's really about being a good doctor or being a, a good whatever, a good teacher, a good, you know, whatever service you provide um, or just being a good person. And so, um, you know, it, it it's, it's about being compassionate uh, towards people that we, Tend to not be so compassionate towards, and and uh, and wanting to make a difference in their lives, and caring about them, and uh, uh, and and not judging them, and that's the secret sauce right there. Is just accepting them for who they're at, um, and know that you know they're suffering, and so whatever we can do to decrease some of that suffering and keep them alive, uh, that's 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 the goal.
1: When did you know you wanted to be in general a doctor?
4: Uh, well, I I was just talking to to a friend of mine about that. So, um, like in grade school nice. <laughs> you know, I, I went to a, a science magnet school and I was really into the whole science thing and um and uh and and then uh, you know, it just kind of uh took off from there and and I you know, I like the idea of of making a difference in people's lives. So, uh so that, you know, kind of sparked sparked a trajectory um and then started going it's a it's it's a common thing in in Southern California to you know go do something with your church group over Easter break and um mine at the time was going to Tijuana. Mm -hmm. um, to build houses. And that was the first time that I saw like real poverty, you know, and it was, it, it really, it really hit me. And, uh, and then started going down to that same spot every weekend while I was in college, um, doing medical care. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was like, okay, this is, you know, I, I knew I wanted to be a doctor, but this that like really uh, cemented the whole, um, you know, wanting wanting to be working with
1: that population. Yes, Renegade MD, a doctor stories from the streets, Dr. Susan Bartovi with us. So here we are, you presenting uh, uh, your uh, what's described as a memoir that not only sheds light on the challenges faced by those living on the streets, but also highlighting your unwavering commitment. First of all, let's, let's just talk about uh, the care that you provide, Doug, uh, give me a, a story.
4: Sure. Um, okay. So uh, one of my patients that I've known for like 10 years, um, uh, who uh, it's very common in Skid Row, uh, we were attending uh, to uh, people who were injecting heroin back in the day. <laughs> it's like heroin is mm. the old drug now. Um, and so, I was originally hired to do wound care because of the injection use, right? And, um, and so it, it, it became uh, an, almost like an engagement tool, so to speak, so where I got to know people really well as I'm, like, cleaning up their wounds and are, you know, doing, a, you know, spending time sure. on them. And so one of, one of the um, uh, my patients – um, you know, I had to take him to the hospital once. He's been in and out of jail. And we started doing um, the opioid uh, replacement medication, um, gosh, like 12, 13 years ago. And he was one of the first ones to want to do it. And and uh, I was just looking at his chart, actually, uh, like probably five mm-hmm. years ago. And, and, and then... Uh, A a lot of people, especially in Skid Row, have switched from heroin to fentanyl and meth, smoking fentanyl and meth at the same time. And then what was happening was uh, a lot of people who are using this new meth um, are becoming psychotic. And so he started uh, having a lot of behavioral uh, mental health issues. But because he was engaged with us um you know kind of not not really taking the opioid replacement medicine 100 percent like sometimes yes sometimes no so still kind of in and out of of um you know his substance use Mm. right um but we were also flexible enough to say okay well let's help you with your mental health issues as well and so we got him on medication um, and there's now injections that last up to six months. And so we got him on the injection and he got into a housing program. He was still using, um, but, you know, the first thing was that he, you know, got into this housing program and he really liked it. And it's, it's temporary. It's still a temporary situation. It's not permanent. He's been in this temporary situation, but it got him off the streets, um, And it also got him to, Be thinking more clearly, so that when he did overdose, he or when he was using, because he over started overdosing a lot, he would use right in front of the clinic, so that if he did overdose, you know the uh, the staff could could reverse uh, his his uh, overdose, and uh, and then he decided to go into rehab um, uh, to to get off all the The substances, but he kept seeing me while he was in rehab. And he's like, I know I'm in rehab and it does feel good, but I'm not sure if I want to not use when I'm done. Like he hadn't gone through that process, but because I was non judgmental, like his whole, the whole time, you know, we've been together, he knew he could trust me with that information because I was like, okay, so when you get out of rehab, let's have a plan for if you are going to start using. Let's make sure you don't overdose and die, right? So so we would work together and try to figure out, okay, maybe we can do a low dose of this opioid replacement or, you know, something, of, something like that. And so when he was done with rehab, he came back to see me in the Skid Row Clinic. And I'm like, okay, okay, have you used yet? You know, and he's like, no, wow. I haven't. And I don't, and I don't want to. And he came to that decision on his own, and it was like it wasn't about me shaming him. It wasn't about me saying, "Oh well, I'm sorry, I can't help you then if you're going to use again." So, so, and and uh, and then I put him on a medicine that would help him with his cravings, um, and that if he did use, he wouldn't overdose. And I just saw him a few weeks ago, and he's like, hey, Dr. P., I still, you know, have it used, and it's been nine months, you know, and he's in his housing situation, and he still, you know, gets his mental health medication, and he's still getting the shot that keeps him from the cravings, and, you know, so so it, it's um, – you know, and I, I it, it, it's all about like going that extra mile, really caring about the person, having the compassion for whatever trauma they've had in their past. But I really think the secret sauce is just is treating them like you would want to be treated, accepting them for where they're at, and not judging them. And so um, and that, you know, that's that's part about being a good primary care doctor. Mm-hmm. Right. Is you want your patient to come back to you? you know? Yes. And so if you're if you're if you're shaking your finger at them and saying, you know, dude, you know, drugs are bad, you know, they're not going to come back to you because they they feel less than. And so if you're showing them that you care about them no matter where they're at, no matter you know where they are in their in their journey of struggles, um they'll keep coming back sure. and Still have, and so every time they come back, you have that opportunity to to get them a little bit closer to um, you know to 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 living their life's purpose and being happy and thriving, and that's really um, you know, and that's 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 why I do what I do, right?
1: <laughs> you bet. That's why we read about what you do, Renegade M D. Of course, talking with that Renegade Doctor Susan Partovi. In summary, you've you've mentioned this. What's what's your what is your message to us?
4: Well, there's a lot of there's multiple overarching themes, but I think one of the main ones is basically what I was saying is is really the the whole point of telling stories about patients is not to feel sorry for them, but it's to see their humanity and through my eyes, like you know, you can just whiz by um, someone, you know, I talk about, you know, the Santa Monica boardwalk and and going by someone who's always there on my on my rollerblades, you know, or you can you can just, you know, kind of see them as an eyesore, or you can see, huh, that's a human being that that person could be my brother, that person could be my sister that person is someone's child. And, you know, I've been working with a lot of loved ones that um, have, you know, family members who are severely mentally ill and just the, um, just the the angst and the trauma and the sadness that is involved with their loved ones being untreated, um, mentally ill, often on the streets or in and out of jail. So heartbreaking. And so if we can, that this is you know somebody's family member, and that if it's it's an urgent situation, especially if they're debilitated um, you know by substance use, by uh, severe mental illness, by dementia, by medical issues. These are what I call the super dupers that
1: you know we don't
4: I, I, I want us to see them as a we, not a them.
1: Thank you for that. How do we find out more information about your book?
4: So I do have a a webpage. It's called therenegademd.com, and you can order the book on Amazon, and the Audible should be coming out soon.
1: (laughs) All right. Keep up the good work. Uh, Patients are waiting for you on this day. Thank you for you and your work. Of course, Renegade MD, Dr. Susan Partovi.
4: Take care. Uh, Thanks so much.